Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. We got a doozy for you tonight. It's going to be a good one. Um, our guest for tonight coming on is going to be Phil Conkey, um, and we'll be talking about a bunch of interesting stuff. You don't want to miss it from duck hunting, um, Central Flyway, uh, his photography. is, And the first thing we're actually going to cover is the Big Sean drama that's going on across the waterfowl um, social media right now. So... Uh, how you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, we just got done recording it. It was quite the conversation. Uh, it's uh, it's good stuff. You guys want to hang on to the whole time listening <laughs> to this one. Yep, for sure. So, let's go ahead, get a quick word from our partners, and then we'll go ahead and jump right into the podcast. So, first off, I'd like to throw a big thanks out to HDR Innovations, hdrinnovations.com. Um, so make sure to check out their gun stand. That is personally my favorite product from HGR Innovations, although they're all great. Um, this one <laughs> has served me well over the last few years using it. Um, and gun stand, you just push it in the mud, and it has a stand that's adjustable for different water heights. You put your gun on there, your ammo, your blind bag, your game strap. Um, I personally put all of those on my gun stand. Um, or if you want, you can share it with a buddy. Just each of you put one gun on there and have your other stuff um, wherever you want to keep it. But when you're hunting in knee-deep water, it kind of seems important to keep everything out of the water. So that's the way I roll with it. Gun on it, uh, some ammo, blind bag, and then the game strap across it. So definitely an awesome product for anybody who's hunting waterfowl in the water. As right now is a great time to head over to Bandit.com and check out everything Bandit has, Avery, GHG. Have you been over there for a while, Jordan, and, and checked out their sales? Um, I have. I go there more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> no danger. I ordered a flannel for work. It was like 49 bucks on sale for like 16 It should be coming within the next couple days. I mean, I know we were outside. Actually, my parents had this cool setup outside where um, with their big camper, they've got an outdoor TV and everything. We're watching TV out there with them one night. I'm just spending the whole time going through all their gear and what I want. And, and again, you can really get some sweet deals on some sales that's, that's going on right now. So maybe next for next week's podcast, if we go on YouTube, I'll wear that sweet banded flannel. Awesome. I can't wait to see that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of flannel, so... <laughs> Yeah, me too. It's it's gonna be cool. I'm pumped. I'm, I'm gonna actually it. have to get the link from you when we're off here, so I can go check that out. A sixteen dollars—that's a steal. Yeah, they have multiple colors. And I saw um, the upgraded waders you got. The picture you sent me. Those are super cool looking. What now? What are what are those actually called? What's the name of that? That's the Banded 2.0 um, and Natural Gear Camo. So or Nat Gear, I think people call it for short. Which actually, I'm not sure if they're uh, continuing that line. I think they're not, as far as that camo style. But maybe they are. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> you were looking good. Yeah, no, those are awesome for sure. 
Also, we'd like to give a big thanks out to Gunner Kennels, uh, Gunner Kennels, American-made company, um, and you can use promo code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off. Um, but it is the perfect solution from getting for getting your pet from point A to point B, specifically for, for us duck hunters getting our our dog, our hunting companion, man's best friend, um, from our house to our hunting location. And they are five-star crash test rated, um, and they got the double wall, double wall rotomolded, and that's a patent on that um, that pretty much puts them head over heels over the competition um, because they're able to get that extra strength from that style of design. And it's just unbelievable the pictures and testimonies you see of people who have accidents and their truck lands on the kennel, and, man, it holds up better than you'd believe. Um, so definitely check those out and get yourself one for your dog. Definitely worth protecting, um, your companion, your investment, um, and your dog. All right. I think let's go ahead and jump right into the podcast. All right. Let's just get another mic check from you real quick, Elliot. Okay. Testing, testing, check, testing. Hello. Um, tell us, um, how... Much you like Little House on the Prairie. Oh, my gosh. Good. Have you watched Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> like the TV I only, show? I only, live, I only live an hour away from the Met house. Man, that um, is – I'm watching it with my daughter and my wife. I thought because we couldn't find anything to watch. I'm addicted to this show. It is so good. <laughs> it's, it's true. I See, Jordan has years. Jordan made me talk about something he knew I would get a little excited about to check my volume. <laughs> so all of Elliot's videos next season, this is what I'm expecting. They're all going to be like Little House on the Prairie theme. He'll be like, his, his titles will be like from the books, and <laughs> Laura, Laura will come in. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I did not, honestly, I did not expect this. I mean, my daughter and wife want to watch it. I'm like, whatever. I did not expect this show to be this good. It's really good. We're talking like Little House on the Prairie from like the 80s, right? (laughs) Yeah, like the mid-70s. Yeah. His mind is so far blown that he had to make sure that it was the same Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Yeah, like you never, you didn't watch it back when you were little? (laughs) I don't recall watching it much when I was little. Because it was on. It was on TV when we were little. Yeah, I mean, I watched episodes here and there, but like, never. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> not a cult. You were not a cult fan, I wasn't. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, this is great because I'm definitely going to put this at the beginning of the podcast now. So, <laughs> uh, come on now, don't destroy my manhood altogether. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just hope we don't lose our audience altogether. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in, until they've watched a few episodes, they can't. They have nothing to say. Yep. All righty, let's go ahead. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my gray-bearded co-host alongside me, per usual. And our guy, our guest for tonight is Phil Conkey, and he is a photographer and duck hunter from the Central Flyway. I'm sure you guys have heard or seen his stuff on Instagram. Um, so, how you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So, we're looking forward to it. Just having a little bit of fun doing the mic check there. So, <laughs> uh, definitely going to be a little bit of a, an exciting one tonight. So, 
Um, we got some interesting topics to cover um, with some of the, the drama you guys have probably seen going across social media this past week um, with Big Sean. So uh, definitely an interesting topic. We're going to be going over that as well as uh, talking to Phil about um, what he's been up to, um, his hunting and uh, his photography and plans for the next season. So buckle up. Let's have a good one. So uh, I guess, Phil, what you've been up to? <laughs> Well, just well, these last couple months, you know, so with all the COVID stuff, I work from home. So it hasn't been a real big change on me. And in the springtime, everything I like to do between taking photos of stuff and turkey hunting, you know, isn't really a social activity. So I've been able to actually do a lot of the same things I normally do. And, you know, I've been, once, once everything started up with all that, pretty much most, most days, in March, I would spend at least a little bit of time. Today, March and April, photos later in the morning for a few hours or evening for a few hours, um, and come home. Awesome. Yeah, that's wasn't a... a big change. <laughs> a big change. I was able to sit up, spend a lot of quality time out in the marsh alone, and we had a, a pretty, you know, pretty cool migration. So it, it lasted really long for right for me right into turkey season. And I've been trying to sneak out a bit and do some of that too here lately so we're kind of just winding down and i think we have four days left of our tricky season and we're done so. i can i can tell you i did get to do a little bit of the the working uh at home during all that covid stuff and you can tell i said i i got to do this the working from home i've never really done like prolonged working at home and actually i kind of envy <laughs> envy people that get to work from home i mean i don't know if i'd over like the months or whatever, how I'd feel about it, but definitely it was like super convenient, you know. So I don't know how, how do you feel about it, working from home? You know, well, okay, so previous fifteen years, from a year and a half ago, or almost two years when I got, I worked uh, for Cabela's as the assistant store manager, well, at least a lot of those years. So I had the exact opposite scenario of what I have now. I have now I'm quiet. And and nobody bothered me. And you know, before I had 100 employees and nonstop customers, and it was it was everything that working at home isn't. And I definitely I definitely like the work at home scenario. Um, I think you're able to be more productive. You don't have kind of all that all that wasted time of the BSing with people in the office and people coming in and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So that's that's different. The one challenge is, you know, keeping on track on something. I mean, there's so many things that can distract you. Yep. You open an email, you open an email, and it gets you thinking of something else. You look online quick, and so there's it's it's different. Um, but I definitely, I definitely like it. And, you know, and as you talk to other people, it seems like a lot of people have that same response who who haven't done it before. Um, they say they're more productive. Because you don't have all the distractions of other people around you, so I do like it. Sometimes I miss some of the some of the social interactions, mm-hmm. but you know, I I'll take it. I'll take it over not having someone standing at my door every thirty five seconds. So. Yeah, it uh, it goes back to the old saying: uh, Could that that meeting really just been a, an email? Or <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at how much that that changed. Huge yeah. difference. And I, I bet too during season, I I would see that probably as a duck hunter, um, 
you know, that has to be the biggest benefit, being able to have a little bit more flexibility, or I guess I'm assuming that you would be able to um, <laughs> with working from home. So um, does that play into it at all Yo, for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, part of the, the stuff that I do involves hunting. Well, that helps. Oh, yeah. Um, but, so I can, I can do that too. But even then, on top of that, you know, I can – if there's things I got to do, I can hunt in the morning and come home and work later in the evening if I need to, or I could work Saturday and Sunday if I don't want to come on hunting on weekdays. You know, so all that kind of stuff makes a big difference. And for being a duck hunter, it's really the ideal scenario. And you kind of just flex your time a little bit more. And you don't have to punch that clock and be located in a specific place. That makes a big difference in what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. So, here's a question for you. If you if, yeah. Are you, a, are you a duck hunter first or a photographer first? I know you do a lot of both. Oh, for sure, duck hunter. Awesome. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they know, there's no question. Um, come duck season, I mean, my, cam- my camera, I use my camera a lot during duck season, but I didn't until about three years ago. But I only use it really for people and dogs and, you know, sunrises and that kind of stuff. When it when it comes to birds coming in during duck season, I have my gun in my hand. See, I've heard, uh, I've heard, and my, and, and, yeah, in my duck call. Yeah, uh, I'm spring. I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> come spring, it's the perfect time because you can't shoot them. So then I've got the camera, and it still gives me that chance to be to be around ducks and do all the same stuff. But you know, since I can't shoot them and call them in, then I get to have that interaction with them that way. So kind of how I got started with the photography thing. So I've heard some people say, and like, I mean, maybe I'm just not far enough along on my duck hunting journey, but I've heard some people talk about how um, th- w- they're fine with like filming or taking pictures um, and they don't even need to pull the trigger on the gun anymore. I'm like, man, that's a, that's a tough one for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just not there yet. So, um, you know, I've tried. I've, I've thought a lot about that because I hear some of the same things too. Um, I've thought a lot. I've actually thought about it a lot because you know you read like the stages of a duck hunter, and man, I just I, there's something that I still find satisfying and kind of completing the cycle. Maybe I don't know of of standing up. Coming through the brush, putting it up, that that shot is kind of something that kind of a finality to the process. Each, you know, over and over and over, each time that you know, and I there's a few times where I've taken my camera, and especially if I, if I shot a limit, my buddies are waiting or still shooting theirs. You know, I'll take my camera up, but even then, it's not the same. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's just, there's something about it. I don't know. Yeah, it is weird. It is weird that that feeling you get when when you've done it through the completion and um, you aim on that bird, you squeeze the trigger, and you know you knock that bird down. It's just, I mean, that's why we do yeah. it. You know, I mean, that's a lot of yeah. why we do it. Um, for me, and I know, I mean, for some people, it's like like you said, it's a uh, they get a big kick out of pulling the or pushing the shutter button, I guess, <laughs> or pushing the record yeah, button. It's kind of funny. It makes me think about when you see, 
uh, when you see people talk about, oh, we just hunt for the friendships and we just hunt for the camaraderie, and they're like, no, you don't. <laughs> you can you'd be out you'd be out doing it in March and April, then when yeah. there's up coming back, you're just hanging out in the marsh then with your buddies, <laughs> throwing decoys out, that's not a, not hunting. That's a great. You come out at five thirty and have your coffee and do all other baloney that you do, and you'd be doing it then. It's, it's, I, for everybody who says that, I just want to like, no. Yeah. I mean, there's people, there's individuals, I think, that, you know, maybe treasure that. But I think in, in general, I don't think that's the case because you don't see anybody going out there without their gun ever. Yeah, no, it'd be way more convenient. Like you said, go out in May in the mm-hmm. morning when it's 50 degrees. Yeah. But we go out yeah. in January when it's zero degrees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and I'll do both. But I'm as much, and I can't say for everybody, I'm, I'm as much as, I spend time with more time on ducks than most 99% of duck hunters do. And when it's season, I mean, I'm out there to hunt I mean, and to do that whole deal. <laughs> There's other parts of it are, are definitely very important. And I, if you can have all that, I don't think the hunting itself would be a tool. But that's the main driver for it. I have to think almost every duck hunter. Yeah. You're duck hunting. You're not duck watching. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you could just go to the bar with your buddies and hang out there and play beanbags and darts and whatever else you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. you have your camaraderie. So. Me and Elliot kind of recently talked about this in uh, one of our episodes. Is there a top hunt of the season? And one of my pet peeves is, or not pet peeves, I want to say one thing that drives me nuts is um, <laughs> when people, when we talk about, like, a kill-dependent hunter, and I'm like, I feel like with, uh, you know, the difference in, like, Central Flyway and being on, like, the far east side of the Mississippi Flyway, like, the number of birds I see is totally different than Central Flyway. But um, I got Elliot oh, yeah. to admit that he's he's <laughs> he's not a limit-dependent hunter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jordan changed yeah. my thinking. I kept saying I don't want to be a killed up in a hunter. And when he pushed me on it, it's like if I don't shoot any birds at all, I am not happy. <laughs> so it's, I'm changing it to oh, limit. No I'm not a limit dependent hunter. <laughs> yeah, there's no question. I mean, I, I'm sitting here. I'm in my, I got a, a my garage kind of part of my garage converted into my an office. I'm sitting here with probably 50 pictures of limit the mallards on the front of my boat with different friends and different spots and i mean and those are all my favorite hunts and you're not probably gonna ever get me to say that a hunt where we didn't shoot at least a, at least a fair amount of birds was one of my favorite hunts There's, there might be like parts of it that i like but those I mean the birds coming in and the shooting is significant enough to the hunt that that a big thing that's going to always constitute a big chunk of my favorite hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember a hunt when I was uh, in college, my, just my dad and I, and we were down in, these, in this cove on this lake, perfectly blue day, a nice about 10 mile an hour wind, and, and there were quite a few birds flying, but they were out on the main lake, and by the end of the day, we each had two mallard drakes each, and they just coasted in perfect. And something about that hunt was so incredibly enjoyable. And we only shot two each. So, you know, it's just yep. some days are just like that. They just stick in your mind even when you don't shoot a limit. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, and this is the strange, this is a strange thing about it is, Jordan, you have a four mallard limit. We have a five mallard limit. If, if we came, when I go, if I went, I go to Arkansas and shoot four mallards, I'm totally happy. Even if I had no other chances to shoot a fifth mallard, I'm totally yeah. happy. Yeah. If I were to be here and shoot four mallards only, and that's all I have for chances, we'd probably, I mean, we wouldn't be, oh, man, that stunk. But we'd be like, oh, that was an okay hunt. <laughs> so it's that. And I'm, I'm, and I always, I'm at, I, in my head, I always rag how much I hate people doing that, but I, I do it myself. Yeah. It's, it's just like one of those, it's just like a setup expectation. Like, even if you, you don't, try to maybe do it purposely but it's just in your head that that's kind of the guideline oh yeah and and here's how it ends up working out so that i think it sets an imaginary you know goalpost for us mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. especially if especially if you're in a situation and where you shoot a limit a lot if you don't shoot one it's just kind of it just doesn't set it doesn't check that little last little box of a satisfaction hunt. I sat you guys will get a little bit of kick out of this so I I'm kind of interested in like physics and mathematics and I'm not good at it but I'm interested in it. And so one day I was um sitting at a, a brewery waiting for a buddy who was doing some stuff. I had some time to kill so I started coming up with the perfect hunt equation. <laughs> I factored in, I think it was like, I had like 15 variables that all mattered from you know, what the weather was like to how good the friends you had were with to <laughs> how well the birds responded to the calls to how mucky, the, how hard the bottom was that you're walking in, <laughs> um, how close, how close the birds finished, how good the dog, I had all these different things that are all like little parts of the hunt that added up and I weighted each one of them a little bit more. So I kind of thought about it. I said, you know, what are all my favorite hunts? And as I kind of like went through some of them and added the stuff in, and it kind of came out pretty legit. It's a, and I weighed it. I personally, on my own, I weighed the limit heavy, and it kind of came out right as to you know what I thought my favorite hunts were. So yeah. Do you still have kind that kind equation, of, that 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 stuff written down somewhere? I have it on my phone. I can send it to you. <laughs> Yeah, that would be so cool. Add that into freelance hunt stats. I was going to say, yeah. If right at the end of the log, you know, it calculates how yeah. good your hunt was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and everybody has, and everybody has their own, will have their own, like, difference. But, I mean, for my own, I kind of, I, kinda, I started, I made my list of things I like, things I think are important during a duck hunt. And then I assigned them in order, and I kind of weighed each one how important I thought it was. Um, well, we just, kinda, uh, it, it was just fantastic. A good, for, good for fun. But yeah, I'll remind me. I'll send it to you later. It's fun. You could just you can have the hunts titled to have a um a a conky scale or something like that. Like your yeah, that's, that's what's called. Yeah, the there we go. Scale. Yeah, that was yeah, that's mine. <laughs> what it what it falls down on the conky scale? What what your hunt rates? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my own. Favorite. Yeah, you definitely got to send that. I got to see that. All right, we're ready to jump into some of the nitty gritty, Elliot. Yeah, let's let's jump right into it. So, um, the topic that we're going to talk about, I don't know, we're just going to spend a little time on this and, and see how it goes. Um, some of you probably have already heard 
uh, about Sean Hammock, uh, better better known as Big Sean, uh, Big Sean Game Calls or Big Sean Calls, I think it is. And uh, he's a he's a pretty he's a really well known waterfowler in the industry and everything. And before we get into this, um, Jordan and Phil and I all, all talked about this. The the intent of this whole session is not to bash on anyone. We just we're going to present the information that we have about this situation and then just give our honest thoughts about it. Um, I was on Facebook recently in Hardcore Waterfowler, which it's a pretty good Facebook water about waterfowl group, something like 85,000 members to it. It's, it's not near and as I good saw, as Fellowship of the Duck Gun, though, but continue. No, it's not <laughs> near as cool as Fellowship of the Duck Guns, but the viewer, it does have a few more eyes on it. <laughs> so, um, so there was a thread where someone had posted an article in a newspaper, and it was called Minnesota Man Guilty of Game Violation. And it's all about Big Sean and, and some, some trouble that he had gotten into. And as I read through what people were saying about it, and honestly, people were just crucifying him right from the start. I mean, 99% of these comments were just crucifying him based on the article, which I will read this article in a second for those of you that, that haven't um, been aware of the situation. But then there was a link over to Sean's um, Facebook page, and he had a 28-minute um, kind of defense or explanation of what had happened um, from, his, from his viewpoint. And so I reached out to him and asked him if he would come on the podcast, and we talked back and forth a little bit. I thought he was going to come on, but he declined. And then I asked him if we could use the audio um, from his video, and Jordan and I went back and forth. Is that legal? Is that not legal? We decided we didn't want to use the audio from that video without his permission. Um, he didn't want us to do that either, which is perfectly fine. It's, it's, it's his stuff. It's, it's his decision. So we're just going to kind of go through this information, and Phil and Jordan and I are going to kind of discuss it. And if there's any more information that pops up in the future, maybe we'll do a second segment on this. So um, let me read the article here real quick, and and then we'll and I'm going to talk about some bullet points from Sean. It's a video where he was defending himself. We'll just go from there. So Minnesota man guilty of game violation. A Stillwater, Minnesota man who ran a guide service in Marshall County was convicted of wanton waste of a game bird in a circuit court ruling on April 7th. Sean Hammock was sentenced to 30 days in jail. His South Dakota hunting license was revoked for two years, and he was fined $500 plus court costs of $68.50. The jail sentence was suspended as long as Hammock has no violations of federal, state, or municipal laws for a period of one year. Court records indicated that GFP officials discovered a pit at Hammock's camp near Cattail Lake that contained 98 uncleaned birds, including 50 ducks, 23 pheasants and 24 geese and one swan. Due to a plea agreement, Hammock pled guilty to harvesting a swan that had a tag with his name on it and throwing it into a field without any attempt to clean it. There was a lot more to this than just one swan, said Marshall County Deputy State Attorney Victor Rapcock. There were likely more than 98 birds, but they couldn't be ID'd because of animals eating them. There were originally seven counts and part of the plea agreement was for court economy, considering the severity of everything. It was a pretty good deal for Hammett. So that's the entirety of um, that article. And I, I, I will say that, um, you know, like Sean is a real well-known name in the waterfowl industry, and he was tied to Jeff Fultz. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. So um, that's the article. Phil, Jordan, you have any initial thoughts just after you guys read the article? Or when was the first time you even saw the article? 
Yeah, I mean, I saw, I think I saw, like, with everybody else when it was happening in social media and um, saw the article. Um, at first, I didn't realize who it was from just the article um, because it's, you know, it says Minnesota man and all that, you know. But uh, when I saw the video of Sean, then I kind of put uh, two and two together, seeing Big big Sean on there talking on his live stream. So um, that's that's pretty much when, when the first time I saw it. Um, so me being in South Dakota and part of that definitely scene, um, I actually saw a text message from some people that saw that article right away a couple weeks, a week or so, maybe, before it hit, before it hit uh, Facebook and all that. And I was kind of surprised it didn't hit it sooner. Um, but, yeah, so I saw it, and, you know, you don't know what to think exactly after it, just based off of that, but I also saw some other messages he sent in that in that timeline as well and just kind of explaining the same things they talked about in the video. So Yeah. Did the his video didn't surprise me too much in terms of what it had for content on it. Yeah. Sure. So as the as so moving to now Sean's video that he released on Facebook, if you guys want to see that video if you haven't seen it um and i think he's actually he told me about an hour ago that he's releasing a second video that i haven't watched yet so when we're done here that'll be interesting to go and watch um but he starts off by talking about his upbringing and how he didn't really have anyone to teach him right from wrong um going into waterfowling or, or even wildlife stuff and so he he just made a bunch of mistakes as, as a young man um, he did things wrong when he worked with um, someone named Jeff Foyles, and he admitted it. And when he was working with Jeff Foyles, so if you don't know who Jeff Foyles is, he was a guide and also had, um, during the time that waterfowl DVDs were really popular, he had a, he had a really um, well-known set of waterfowl DVDs. And I'd say, correct me if you guys are wrong, I'd say he's probably the the most infamous case of as someone with a name in the water industry getting busted for violations. Do you guys think that'd be accurate, Jeff Foyles? Oh, for sure. I mean, he was he was absolutely at the top. I mean, him and, him and Tim Grounds and Fred Zink, I mean, they were the three, these three big players in the goose call game at that time. And, and Jeff maybe was the biggest. I mean, he back then I mean he was at the height of it and so when it all happened it was Yeah, he was he was on top, wasn't he? Yeah. And he was a guide as well. And apparently their his main yeah. thing was they were just constantly shooting over limits. They they had no regard for limits. Um and he ended up from what the information I read is that he ended up doing thirteen months in jail, hundred thousand dollars and he lost hunting privilege for multiple years and because they just but they were just shooting over limits, double their limit, not even thinking about it. And they were doing this with guided clients. Oh, and Sean was um, working for Jeff Foyles at that time, and he was videoing the videos. So when um, Foyles was um, basically, they got raided by the federal level, and they only wanted Jeff Foyles, according to what Sean was saying. I've read online where, and this is this is speculation. I didn't say anything definitive that uh, Sean got um, um, immunity for 
giving details on what he knew what was going on. So the only person out of that whole group that was doing those things was that actually got any kind of retribution was, was Jeff Foyles. And so mm -hmm. that's why Sean is in his video talking a lot about, about Jeff Foyles. And, um, and I was a little confused about, about that as to why he spent so much of this video talking about Jeff Foyles when it really was in response to what what he had done. Did either of you guys find that to be a little bit strange? I think I I, I think what he I think the idea there is that he suspects Jeff to be behind the getting turned in. That might oh. that might be that is my guess from from what I watched is that if I feel mm. that that might be how how he got turned in. So you got you mean that's how the um game warden found something out about him. I I don't I mean I don't know, but Okay. So my assumption My assumption cuz he doesn't really say, he just kind of alludes to it. I thought maybe that yeah. Jeff Foyles was the one that got it going on social media like sharing the story. But um that all oh, that could be too, yeah. So he kind of left it up for grabs. He he really he but, spends quite a bit of time on this 28-minute video. I bet you he spends a good out six seven minutes talking about um jeff Wood. i know there's a real public feud between the two of them um oh, that yeah. started in 2011 it's it's been pretty a pretty public deal between the two of these guys and you know whether whether jeff brought it up or anyone else or if jeff didn't bring it up someone else was going to bring it up that i'd go to waterfowl i can promise you that it was there was there's was enough people that knew about it that someone that didn't like him was going to get their hands on it and put it up there so you know, yeah I'm not so a, in, in the video i'm not um, the biggest oil fan in the world but you know what who cares who brought it up you did it you said it was your own fault so there it is yeah yeah well i was a little confused about that um but it was interesting to hear his thoughts on it uh but he did openly admit to being involved in those um, cases of shooting over their limit, which I thought was interesting as well. I don't know if that's something in the past he's ever publicly said or not. I guess I don't follow him enough to know. Um, but going into past uh, Jeff Boyle's stage of Sean's career, there was certainly um, some, I guess, reputation that followed him because of that, that I'm sure was, was difficult for him. Um, so Sean in the video made it clear that he isn't going to jail, didn't go to jail, and it was only one ticket that he got, which was for the swan. And he admits to throwing the swan into um, the trash. And, and his the reasoning he gave for it is that he shot the swan because he wanted to have it mounted. Uh, but then when he called his taxidermist, he found out it was a 1500 price tag to have it mounted. He just didn't want to pay that. And then he went to clean it, and it smelled like rotten fish, and it was just disgusting. So he threw it away. And um, he also went on to say, and I didn't know this, is that that's actually not illegal to throw your birds, throw your birds away. You know, if wanton waste, apparently letter of the law is supposed to be for if you're in the field and you're not trying to retrieve your birds, you're just leaving them laying in the field. But once you get to your home, it's perfectly legal to throw birds in the ditch or in the trash. And, and it's not illegal at all. What are you guys thoughts on that? Did you guys, were you aware of that? Here's a here's a kind of question off of that. So I kind of I want to kind of see what you guys think about like the morals and ethics of just 
just what happened there with, with the swan. I mean, like if, you know, hy- hypothetically, like if you, if you had, um, a, a son or a grandson, like you're the mentor to this hunter and they go through something like this. I mean, what do you tell them to do? You know? Yeah, I think, I think it's more, it's the swan thing itself is kind of a gray area in terms of whether, you know, whether you should be pissed off at it. I, I don't, I can understand, yeah, being surprised by a price tag. And typically, you know, if you had this thing riding on your truck, yeah, what do you do? Do you clean it and then horse it down later? Do you make it a dog treat? How do you how do you handle that? So that's an issue. Um, and I think outside of that, the other, I mean, I think the the morals issue comes into the the stuff that he hasn't discussed on the tape of the the other birds that are brought up in that article. Yeah, and so here's the other thing about it: like it's a swan, right? And so. I mean, I think, like, us as, as human beings, like, we have, like, a, I mean, there's a value to life. And, like, if, if someone did this to, like, a fish, you know, like, you took a, a bluegill out and you didn't end up eating it, like, people aren't going to be ticked off, you know. And if you took, like, an mm-hmm. elk, you took an elk, you know, that's the far extreme, huh. a majestic yeah, animal, a bull elk, um, and you, you harvest that and, and you know, you don't take the meat from that. I mean, that's a a, a big difference i think you know um as far as like morally and then like the same thing like if this was like a blue wing teal you know it's i still think it's like the same morals and ethics hold up between the it two does. but i think people feel differently about it for sure i mean yeah. that's what i thought that same thing because if a person thinks the swan isn't a common there's not many of them they're bigger they're prettier that whole deal people assign assign more value to them because of it. And I mean, I, I can, I can say this the other day I was turkey hunting with a friend of mine and I brought some elk burger and he cooked up a bunch of it. And there was probably like a eighth of a pound that I didn't eat. So I was stuck at steak and elk burger and I threw it away after it cooked. And he's like, what are you doing? That's an elk burger. I said, well, yeah, I can't eat it. What am I supposed to do? Well, that's an elk. Well, yeah, I get it, but yeah. I can't, can't keep it in my pocket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you no, know? I mean, you're right. And it's like we, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. everyday life, too. It's like we cook food, um, you put it in the fridge, the leftovers, and sometimes leftovers get thrown out, you know, which yep. is totally different, I think, but, you know. It's a similar idea. I mean, something had to die for it. And yeah, so, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I get it. I mean, and realistically, I mean, why does the swan have more value than a teal or a, <laughs> or a bug, a mosquito? I mean, it's bigger and prettier. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think the swan in itself is going to attract more attention than a pheasant or whatever else is out there that, that you can do the same thing with. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think about, let's say – that it really wasn't 98 unclean birds, which we haven't even talked about how he left that off of his defense. I mean, they were very specific, the number of birds they said they found. Uh, Mm. But let's just say, okay, for sure he threw a a swan um, into the pit, or even beyond that, let's say he shot it in the field 
and just didn't even try to try to pick it up, which he didn't do this. But let's just hypothetically, um, he shot a swan, letter of the law, didn't even try to go and gather it. So it's a it's a clean, wanton waste ticket. Do you think the sentence that he got, which was, I think, oh, man, what was it? How many years is he can he hunt? I think it's two or three years he, he can't hunt. Two, two, two years. I think it's two years. Two years. Two years, $500. Is that, where do you guys come in on the sentence for that? If he had done that hypothetically. Yeah. So the two years is actually state too. It's not federal. So that's something to consider yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm, it's, that's a tough thing. And I'm glad I don't have to make the laws to, <laughs> for, to figure that out. You know what the punishments are for all that. I feel like that's really yeah. tough to figure out what the punishment is is for that type of stuff yeah it is and some of those and and some of those laws aren't exactly crystal clear so that that makes it even worse because sometimes they vary by state um sometimes they vary you know by game warden yeah in in terms of whether you'll get a ticket or not so that stuff is all it's all a bit of gray area you know your hypothetical situation you just shot a bird and flat out just didn't go get it. Um, I feel like that's different than what he did on the swan. Yeah, yeah, that's, it that's is different. I, there's, there's no doubt. Just shooting it and flat out leaving it is different. But um, here's the here's the thing. Um, it, it's kind of weird to think about, but like if the, there's the law with wanton waste that like once it gets to your house, it doesn't matter what you could do. It's like what's the difference between shooting it and leaving it out there and shooting it, bringing it home and not doing anything with it? Like, what's the difference there, you know? Mm-hmm. I, agree. I agree totally. I can't name it, but it's definitely a difference. I I, I, I tend to think that most guys... In, intention, uh, most, intention? Maybe? What's, what's the that? Intention, the intention? Yeah, maybe? intention. I think there's a lot of games that gets thrown in the trash because it gets freezer burned because people leave it in there with the intention of eating it, but it's just, it gets built up. And I bet you, of course, the year there is pounds and pounds and pounds of birds to get thrown away just because they're freezer burned and people don't take the time to actually cook them because they're always thinking, oh, I'm going to oh, no do it, I'm going to do it, and they just don't. Mm-hmm. There's no, and I, I mean, a lot of that is, is probably also just an, an excuse to get rid of it because people don't want, I mean, if we're going to be honest, there's a lot of duck hunters that do not like to eat ducks. A lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who probably who probably take and throw them straight in the trash. There's a lot of people who probably clean them and then throw the carcasses out and later throw the meat out or give 100% of the meat away. So they're not, you know, they're not interested in eating them at all. And so, you know, yeah. varying degrees in terms of how how that scale slides in terms of and I've known people who shoot a lot of birds that I didn't see them throw things away, but I suspect they some I probably suspect probably know how to clean a damn bird. <laughs> I, I think yeah. I think I would I would have to disagree that there's a lot of hunters. I think most hunters eat their duck. I definitely know hunters and I guess I guess it depends on how you you're saying a lot, like as far as like a percentage wise, not a lot, not a huge majority, but there's a lot of people who shoot a lot of ducks. Yeah. That just don't shoot, don't, don't touch them afterwards. Yeah. No, I got, I know people that I hunt with that 
prefer like other people to take the birds at the end. They're trying to, you know, gift them yeah. to the other hunters. And I mean, I'll, I'll take them a lot of times. Um, because I, I mean, I eat a lot of, of wild game. Yeah. So, um, but you know, there's definitely people like that. And honestly, I'd hope that there's not that many that did, uh, one of those, what you're saying, uh, where they actually clean them and throw the meat away later, like on purpose. <laughs> but, I don't think it's I don't, on purpose. I think people have good intentions. They just don't get to it. I, I think that's a lot probably more what happens than people like connivingly going, well, I'm never going to eat this, but I want to make it look like it. I think people have the intention to do it and it just gets away from them. Yeah. Okay. I know that um, two years ago we we had the best season of my entire life and, and my buddy Aiden was hunting with me every day and he shot even more than I did. And we were getting towards the end of goose season. I kept telling him, man, you're shooting too many birds. You're not going to eat all these birds. In fact, on late goose season, I started making, you know, I passed up on some shots because I'm thinking, I know what I've got. I know about how much I'm going to consume. And I was getting concerned, so I was really putting the pressure on him about it. And he got looking around, and he found a soup kitchen downtown Kansas City. And uh, once a week for like a month, he and I went in there and barbecued all this duck and goose up in the parking lot and took in and fed him and everything. And this was all on his doing. I can't take credit for it, but I was there, but. It was such a, an amazing way to serve the community and, and pass off some, some bird if you have too much in your freezer, for sure. I bet you more people should do that if they know that opportunity is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have that, actually. We have that set up as a part of a government program for our early goose season here in South Dakota. They have drop-off points. Hmm. We can drop the birds off whole, and they donate it to um, shelters and food, food places. You just hope they don't bite down into a steel sandwich and <laughs> crack their teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> so mo- moving on in, in with the video, um, the, the second part of his defense video is really interesting. He got into talking about this one particular local warden who does not like him. And he talked for a good 10, 12 minutes about this warden. And he says this guy watches him, follows him around, he um, has had interactions multiple times with the guy where he, ma- he made this warden angry because he started guiding on land that this warden also had permission on. And he's saying the warden was intentionally screwing up his hunts, like he was watching him on the, him and his clients on a road, and he waited all day until the birds started flying. And then the warden went out there and checked them all and wasted all their time just to ruin their hunt. Um, and so this is the warden that ended up giving him the this violation ticket and it's it's his belief that this guy is just out for him wants to take him down and he did make one statement that um i just man i hope it's not true and i i I struggle to think it is is that um when you become well known and you're a successful guide that the local management in your area area don't like you and want to take you down he kind of made a blanket statement about that before talking about this this one particular warden. I mean, I know that there's obviously with every job, you've got your good ones and your bad ones. And I can't speak to this one because I don't know them and don't, don't know the situation, but I, I do find it a little hard to believe that just as a general rule, if you're successful and well-known in a guide that the local enforcement officers just want to take you down. I, I just don't know if I can swallow that one. I have, I have uh, one thing specifically to say about that. Got one of my best friends, the guy in that exact area. 
and he's been the guide for longer than Colin has done it up there, um, for quite a few years. And as far as I know, I've never heard of him ever having any instance where the game board is out to get him. And he's a fairly a well-known guy in the waterfall world. And I mean, clearly any game board up there would have to know him because he's done it for probably seven to 10 years, I would guess. I've never heard of him ever saying anything about that. So, and I've yeah. gone with him enough, but I think I would probably be, be keen to that information. Um, and the other thing that I think that is always interesting about that statement is that you always hear this. I mean, you hear it from anybody that gets busted for something. It's, oh, they're out to get me. They're out to get me. Well, what, I mean, what is it? It's not just because you're, you're famous. What is it that you're doing that someone is out to get you? They heard something. They know something. You're, I can't imagine. I mean, and who knows? It's possible. But I can't imagine the game won't just sit out there and like, I'm going to get this guy. He tried yeah. to my property. And I will say, you know, if you're coming I, from I don't know the, the whole situation with... If you're coming from the situation with Jeff Boyles, where you've just been a part of this whole scandal, and you're a guy in the area, if I'm a law enforcement officer, based on all of that information, I'm probably going to keep my eye on you a little closer than I might someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, the, this case, this, there's like so many aspects to it. I mean, because people who are making money off of it are are going to have a more of a magnifying glass on them. And you need to expect that. Um, I, I've got friends who are in the industry and they're guides and they specifically don't do a lot of things that are even remotely questionable just simply because of what it means for their career and the job and their name and all that. And so because they know that that the magnifying glass is held on them at a higher level than it is on the average Joe Hunter. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you're if you're a guy that's making videos and calls and your your face is you know synonymous with killing ducks and geese, and you're making camp in the area, I, don't, I mean, I, I would I can't imagine how you couldn't play everything by the rules above and beyond what anyone else would ever think of doing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of sympathy on that. They're out to get me part of it because yeah. there's something going on there. There's something going on that you know we're not seeing that makes someone want to come and get. You know, if this guy, this game warden, is if that's you know how he says they just want to write tickets and they just need to get tickets. Well, you know, spending all your time on a guy if he's not doing anything. Well, that's it's a waste wasting your time and go get other people then. If the guy's doing something, well, then you're going to spend your time doing it. Yep. Yeah, so that that basically 
ended the video, he did spend a little bit of time talking about how he pen raises pheasants and how um, some of the pheasants had killed each other and he'd thrown those out in the field and the warden didn't like that. And there was some license he was supposed to have for um, pen raising pheasants and to use them commercially that he didn't have. But it was none of that actually ended up being a part of the, the final violation that he got. So I, I guess we're down to final thoughts on this. Maybe we can just close out by giving any, any last things we have to say or final thoughts on the situation. Jordan, you yeah, got, I got some thoughts on it. I guess like with the, the birds, you know, that were thrown in the pit, like, I guess we don't know exactly what became of them. I mean, because, or, or how they, they got there, I guess, um, you know, kind of thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it is legal to do it, then it's not illegal. I mean, is it morally right? You know, that's like, I guess that's the question you no. pose. You know, and then like, yeah. It, yeah, you're right as far as no. Yeah. Um, but then yeah. like beyond that, like he's a guide service. Like, are they his birds? Are they clients' birds? Um, you know, and if they're clients' birds, you know, I don't know. It just kind of gets super weird to think about when, because I don't have to deal with that. I mean, I deal with my own birds and. And, uh, you know, put those in the freezer or eat them, you know. Um, so it was, like, he accountable for taking those birds from his clients and then not doing any, like, wh- how'd, they be, how'd they get there, I guess, is one question I'd, I'd want to know. I it, think one, one thing with that, when you're the guy, you know, whether this is right or wrong, I, I'm not going to say, but I know, I know there's, um, there's several cases where guys, got busted for allowing clients to shoot over their own daily limit. Mm-hmm. One of them that I heard of was even where the guy instructed them to stop shooting and and the client kept shooting and they got and the, the guy got in trouble for that. So if you want to take that over to a pit being located at someone's camp. Um, presumably, that client then just happened to know that there was a pit back there, and I'm sure they, were, you know, said, "Oh yeah, there's a pit back here. Go throw them out there." That I mean, then the client or the the guy is then involved in it, and so they're they're going to they're going to be complicit in it, and I'm sure under under those laws, um, whether that's right or not, I don't. Whether that's legally right or morally right, I don't really know. But the fact that that guy is being paid to do this stuff and then it happens under his watch, I think that's where they where they start to come after you. Yeah, because aren't guards guides required to like when they're storing birds for for guests, like have everything tagged and you know separated in in, in that way as well? So. Yeah. Yeah, that's unless you run it through a processor. Some of these guys' service, if you run it through a professional processor, uh, which they do down at um, Cypress Crossing in Arkansas, which will Strickland, they run it through a a processor. And then once you do that, the laws kind of change with how you how you have to deal with the meat. But if if it's not run through a professional processor, then yeah, they all have to be really handled carefully. Yeah, you know, the other thing that some of this brings up is just some of the laws some of the the game laws 
in terms of um, the wanton waste laws and possession limits and uh, the uh, the tagging laws and all that, and whether maybe there should be some reform on some of those since we aren't in market hunting days anymore. Yeah, one hundred percent agree on that. So correct me if I'm wrong. Technically, if I have more than three days' limits of birds in my freezer, that's illegal, right? Correct. Well, that nobody follows that. Yeah, I mean, as far as what's in your freezer. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time you you called your buddy to say, "Oh, hey, um, run to hunt tomorrow"? No, I got 15 mallards in my freezer. Can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. That's but, a ridiculous law. But but the, it is it is and there's and there's such weird things because the law in there says if it's processed. So I mean, what if you have a bunch of jerky done up of fifteen ducks? Can you can you not hunt till you eat that jerky? Or or burger frozen? It's it's all really gray, and the problem is, is I've asked a lot of different orders, and you never get an answer. Like, they'll never give you a specific, a specific answer, so you don't, there's no, there's no one that'll ever tell you anything. You don't, you don't really know what's what. Yeah. I think some of those so, laws just promote people breaking the laws. So, yeah, I mean, how, they, how do we even, like, as hunters, push for something like that to to be changed, you know, because, I mean, it's got to be changed on the on the federal it, level. It has to be on a federal level. I think it requires, I think at that point, it's like a, it has to go through Congress. And, like, I mean, good luck them dealing with a duck hunting law right now. Oh, yeah. You know, probably, I yeah. mean, it's probably maybe, best maybe Congress not. Congress maybe. doesn't even think about duck hunting. <laughs> <laughs> good point. I mean, maybe Fish and Wildlife can make those changes on their own, but I don't know. Yeah, Jordan, we should talk to uh, Brad Bortner about that. Eat now. Maybe we can uh, we can slip it through in the next stimulus package. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Tucking in so if, you got, if you think about it, then if <laughs> if you got raided for how many birds you have in your freezer, you could get them out of your freezer, run out, throw them in a ditch, and you'd be legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Throw them in the garbage. It's, how does that make sense? It's a it's a weird deal, and not. And I, mean, I try to, I keep up pretty darn well with eating them and making them a jerky and just stay on top of it. But I don't like, I don't do a count every single day. I mean, plus me, sometimes you have three in a bag or two in a bag or something funky like that. So a guy, you just, you never know exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could be more, more on the ball about it, but. It's one of those really like funny laws that a guy can try to do everything right, not shoot over your daily limit, not you know, no lead, shooting time, you're done, all that kind of stuff. And you could one of those things you could easily go over by accident. Because also, no, there's a miss, there's a bag underneath the elk burger in there, and then there's a duck bag in there. And oh my god, then you're then you're screwed, and now all of a sudden you're a poacher. Is that is that the only uh, as far as hunting? Um, well, I guess, you know, s- squirrels and rabbits have, like, daily limits and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure if they have possession limits. I'm not much of a, a small game hunter. But, like, as far as, like, deer, you could, I mean, is there a possession limit for deer meat? 
Um, you know, probably, probably that probably depends on the state and what there is for tags. But even then, you know, some states allow eight tags and some only one. And but I mean, if you had yeah, meat from the previous season, I guess the d- big difference between that would go back to the processing because everybody gets their or ninety percent of hunters probably get their uh, their deer. Uh, processed, you know. Um, yeah. So that's probably a big difference. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've ever. I don't. I don't suspect that there's any kind of. Well, I, I, I guess I've never. No, I've never seen any possession limits for any big game thing, in in the way that waterfowl has. Yeah, and that probably a, goes a possession limit. Yeah, that probably goes to like you're saying oh. the market hunting and all that market hunting days. Late late act type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and we're and we're in a different period now where I think those laws need to be re-examined and maybe just adjusted for the time rather than you're not going to find people taking 250 bucks in to go sell them somewhere. Now it's a situation of people abusing daily limits and that kind of thing. Another thought on it, another thought on it though is that for them to have a to check your freezer, they're going to have to have a search warrant. And if they've got a search nope. warrant, then you're nope. involved. Nope. They don't. Nope. A, a game warden does not need a search warrant. So he could come knock a on my warden. door and just say, "Can I see your fridge?" A game warden in almost every state can come to see your fridge because it's a it's a voluntary activity, and there's something about what you sign on your licenses that they can just come see your freezer. Ah, man, that's hard to believe that a guy I don't know could knock on my door and without a search warrant walk right in to my kitchen and go into my freezer. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you can look look it up, but I'm 99% sure in most most cases a uh, has more authority than regular police officer does in that in that particular situation, and and they can't they can't come in your house and look for drugs or whatever else they want to but if it's if it's related and they believe that there's uh more stuff in your freezer they can do it without a a warrant they need a search warrant to uh when they to make sure you haven't kidnapped somebody but man that that mallard meat (laughs) they can just go right to help i mean i learned it i did a i knew it when i was little but i remember i did a I was probably 14, and I did a ride around, um, like you know, on a career, like in the like eighth grade or something, like a career day type deal. Um, I rode around with our local game warden, and he talked about it. And I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily utilized a lot, but they they can do it in most places. Mm. I know, I know in Minnesota that it was the deal. And I, I believe here in South Dakota is the deal too. That's definitely interesting. Elliot, you haven't yeah. uh, you haven't voiced your kind of final thoughts. Let's hear your final thoughts before we uh, move on to the next subject. Yeah, well, my big issue is that in the article, and you alluded to this, Jordan, is that it talked about 98 unclaimed birds, 50 ducks, 23 pheasants, 24 geese, and he did not even bring that up at all in his response video. That gives me big hesitations. Now, 
that should be illegal. Whether it's illegal or not, that should be illegal. If you're just shooting birds and throwing them into a ditch with no attempt to um, eat them at all and just ditch them, that should be illegal. So I would love to hear him speak to that. Um, it was obviously more than just a few pheasants thrown into the thrown into a field. Um, so I, I, I would like for him to speak to that because that's a big, big issue. If you've got 98 birds in a ditch, that's common practice. Um, so that, that's, that's probably most people's concern, I bet, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he serve his time and come out and keep what he's doing. And if, you know, learns from his mistakes and, and, and continue to grow as a man, you know, I, I certainly am not in a position to condemn him for the rest of his life or anything, but you know, if, if that is true, that's something that needs to be seriously thought about and, and something that needs to be rectified for sure. Mm-hmm. There's no question. I think that, I think that part is the most disturbing, the most disturbing thing is that you know, there's, there's always going to be instances where someone doesn't clean a duck because they're too shot up or they forgot it in the back of their truck and it was hot. And, but that's not a, that's not a, the, what would you, what would be the word? It's not recurring. It's not a pattern. It's not a habit. It's not a habit. And it happened and oh, oh man, God dang it, I forgot to clean this truck. Uh, and you feel bad about it. But most guys don't have a pile of 100, nearly 100 birds in their backyard that aren't clean. Mm-hmm. Well, the back- state deputy, the, the deputy state attorney in the article said there was likely more than that, but you couldn't ID them because they'd been eating that. Yeah. So yeah. that pit is just where they, where they dump them. That's just where they dump them. That's a yeah. problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's—I think that's gonna what's gonna make upset about. It. You know, I don't—I—I I don't do that myself. Is what most people are gonna think. Why should this guy and why should I feel bad for him? Yeah, you know, I don't, maybe maybe you got targeted and somehow you got off of that or whatever happened. But I mean, you got targeted for Swan because you had a, a tag on it that has your name on it. And so it was an easy one to prove. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You shoot a tag and I say, you got to put a sticker on it, has your name on it, and it had his name on it. And that was a, a no brainer slam dunk. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel like if someone shot one, I don't, I don't pay a ton of attention to other people getting busted for shooting things, but I don't feel like if someone shot a duck all the season, or a duck over their limit or threw a duck away without cleaning it in the state of pub so that you would get two years or a goose, you wouldn't get two years of not hunting. I don't yeah, I don't think that's the case. I think that probably is where that factored in the other things going on and that was part of the, the plea bargain that they talked about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I, I agree. All right. You know, yeah, and that, that's where I wish we could have. That's where I wish we could have the game warden or that the district attorney or someone on that was truly able to speak to what happened in that case, and you could see pictures 
and you can see all that kind of stuff that they had because you know we've got a short paragraph in the newspaper and we've got a 30 minute article to go against it and you just don't have the other side really mm-hmm. yep. that would certainly be interesting and they can't they can't come out and talk about that stuff publicly i'm sure they can we got what we got all righty let's go ahead and talk about some uh some hunting so bill how, how was your hunting season um last season it was good um we had a lot of water around home here and we had a pretty solid first part of our season i always i always break our season up into basically october early november and then the later half of it and our first part of the season was pretty good it wasn't it wasn't amazing and it was kind of strange for how much water we had we didn't have an absolute ton of ducks around. Um, but if you put your time and you find some here and there. So that that was a fun a fun deal. Um, and then the later part of the season, once we got cold, it was really good then. And we had a lot of good hunts. Um, hunted with a bunch of different people. I got to hunt some really cool spots. Geez, we were just enough ice-free to hunt till right around Christmas basically and that was it was um, just some almost not every day not, I, didn't hunt, I still didn't hunt every day but almost every day I went it was, it was pretty solid and um, man just enough birds just to keep us going kind of straggle around and if you hunt just enough you can kind of always get a feel for where birds are what they're doing, where they're moving to, kind of keep an eye on them and a feel for them, and just trying to keep your thumb on top of them. Yeah. Just able to do that. It was fun. And I, I mean, these my last two dust seasons have been really fun. How many days I've a week do you get out? Uh, and um, probably average three to four. Okay. I would say. So every other day. I was just curious because you're saying you, you kind of. Um, if you hunt enough, well, you're able to keep a, a good beat on. Yeah. We've had um, so Ducklander calls on. He says he hunts every day, so he, he knows every day where to go. It's like, oh uh, man, yeah, not that much. So I was able to rent a little cabin um, down in the area where I hunt, or how actually rented a house um, from November through December. I basically kind of lived and worked out of it for a while, um, and Wi-Fi and and set up my set up my office down there and and hunted out of it and it made life way better so I could actually go it wasn't a big thing for me to go hunt for a couple hours in the morning. So I hunted a fair amount and then I actually tended to not hunt on the weekends when the crowds were around and just let other people have that deal. So it was a fair amount. There's probably some weeks some weeks a little less, some weeks a little more, but it was fun. I mean, we had some crazy weather stuff, some like almost damn near life threatening conditions we're out in, and a lot of bluebird days, and all a lot of them were good on both sides. And had a couple of friends come from out of state, and it was just kind of a fun season. I, pretty low key, low stress. We didn't have to do a crazy amount of scouting. We had a general area with 
enough birds in it that we could kind of stay about where we were most of the time. I mean, we had to do a little bit, but, you know, we weren't putting on an insane amount of miles after every hunt on every evening, which was nice for a change. So um, appreciate that. It was just, just kind of a really fun, really fun duck season. I, I wish that that camp. late season snowstorm hadn't kept you away from that late season lake that I hunted. You guys, uh, you guys, we just happened to be heading right to the same place, and you guys got hung up with the ice. And man, you missed a weekend. Yeah. Man, you know, January was kind of a bummer for me. Like uh, the previous year, my January was awesome. I had some really good hunts, and um, we were we had a couple of different hunts planned in January, and one of them was to come down forward to that that spot and we went and or we were gonna go and there was just a, one of the nastiest ice storms and a friend of mine in nebraska i was gonna meet him kind of on the way we just both we both envisioned driving six and a half seven hours with a uh 20 foot hard side bolt line behind us down icy roads and yeah, <laughs> we, just thought, we just thought that was not going to be a very good idea. So yeah. we uh, we canceled that one, and we ended up going when it was when the weather was not not really good at all for hunting. It was a decent hunt, but it was it wasn't it wasn't like what you guys had. I know that. Did I ever send you the video, lot- the two videos of that weekend? Oh, yeah. I don't remember if I did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They were playing. <laughs> they were playing in my mind as I was watching hundreds on hundreds <laughs> of golden eyes fly by me in hardly any hours. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. I remember I've you were never... texting me that day saying you were going to shoot mallards, but everyone else wouldn't stop skybusting at golden eyes and they were killing you. <laughs> Dude, I've never, I've never, I've hunted a lot of like, of public spots. And that day, the shooting on that lake was similar to a spot in the public woods on Arkansas on a good day for all at gold night. I've never ever heard anything like that or seen I mean it was unreal. There was non stop <laughs> gold night and non stop shooting for the first few hours of the day. It was unbelievable. We had we probably would have been done on Mallards by like eight thirty that day. But every every single time a bird would come in, even even start to like Set it, swing, or bank around to you when you hit it. Someone, maybe you shot across the lane. And they would take off and go the other way. Like, oh, at some point, we were just like kind of laughing about it. And we knew it wasn't going to, we knew it wasn't going to be like a lights out on. So we just kind of like, well, it is what it is. Let's just see if we can stretch up. Well, and we had one, we had one good day and then a tough day and then another day that was really tough. So, um, well, that yeah, country, that was, that's that probably the prettiest around. part of Kansas. Yeah, that's a really neat place. I, I'd like, I'll hunt there again for sure. And we hunted there. I've never hunted, hunted it. Before. I've never hunted it. We hunted there a year before, and it was really, and it was, there was a lot, way more dots, way more mallards, and way less gold nights, thank God. And the weather was nasty, though, so it kept everybody else off the lake. That was, that was the key. This day was like, 60 degrees, zero wind, so there was, everyone and their brother was out there. That was not good. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I would like to have made it down on that trip. That would have been fun. Cause that, 
that area. And it's just it's just nice to extend your season and have one like one or two of those last little hunts after the season's done to kind of around home to kind of extend it. I mean, heck, if I did that, my duck season goes from the end of September all the way into into January, you know, September, October, November, December, January. Mm-hmm. Dang your duck! No, October, November, December, January. I got four months. That's thirty-three yeah. percent of the year that I'm duck hunting. I can't complain about Not that. Not bad at all. No, not bad at all. And we have three weeks of teal in September for us, so it's even better. It's a long oh, time yeah, to hunt. Right. You guys, it's kind of slick that you guys, do you, do you think that hurts your your regular duck season then or no? Or the regular ducks just aren't around by then? No, they're not. It's all blooming teal in September. In fact, yeah. when we start in the, the first zone in Kansas Open, mid second or third week of October, and that's a lot of times mostly blueings as well. Huh. Yeah, we're, I think we're start to do that separate season. Um, well, yeah, we could do an early September, I suppose. But South Dakota's done something kind of cool the last few years where our teal season is built into our first 14, I think it's our first 14 days, give or take of our regular duck season, and we're allowed to shoot eight ducks. Oh, wow. First, we can shoot our regular six, our limited six, our daily limited six. We can shoot our regular six plus two additional blue wings. So we could actually shoot, if you want shoot eight blue wing teal the first two weeks of duck season, if you wanted to. Or oh, that's cool. Five mallards, a pintail, and two blue wings, or whatever, whatever you want. But it's always those two additional blue wings. Well, it's kind of a cool deal. Our depending on our weather, we may or may not have a ton of blue wings around. This year, we have a quite a few blue wings around that first first week or so, at least. So it's kind of fun. We shot a lot of ducks that that way, but um, we don't have yeah, that. The laws on blue wings are getting a lot more liberal. For once they started the early teal season, it was four teal for a long time, years and years and years. It was just four, and then they finally bumped it up to six, which makes a big difference. That's a lot. It's kind of cool, though. Mm-hmm. That's like what a like what a neat opportunity to go out at a time when you weren't hunting otherwise. Yeah. And those suckers move through. I mean, up here, we you can see it up here, and you guys. Well, I mean, you guys see the other end of it. We see the leaving of blueing teal, whereas you see the arrival of blueing teal. And we might go. You might go one day, and I'm a. 7th of October, and you might leave a, you might out a spot, and there might be a thousand teal on it, all in the area. There's teal everywhere, but it got cold in the north wind overnight, and you show up in the next morning, and there's hardly a teal left. Where the men, all of a sudden, yeah. boom, they show up on all those wetlands you guys got. Yeah, it's in Kansas, because we just don't have many breeding ducks, nesting ducks at all. We've got some wood ducks, and I'm sure, you know, you have a few little spatterings. But for the most part, if I go into the marshes now and I might see three or four wood ducks if I'm lucky. So we just go where we see no ducks at all. So when the blue, when the blue wings show up, it's really a special thing because we've gone, you know, three, four months with no ducks at all around. And then you get that north day and that wind, and now all of a sudden you have ducks around for the first time in months. And 
that scout yeah. the weekend before teal season is, is a really fun, fun weekend because it's like the anticipation is just killing you. The ducks are showing up. It's I like that part of it that, that we kind of, you know, it's like fondness makes the heart grow dear, right? It just happens. All of a sudden, like, you get to see, you get to see the migration happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that's yeah. part of why I like, I love, I love springtime in South Dakota is that we're, we're straight up tundra, cold, frozen ice and snow for two or three months. But all of a sudden, one day in early March, all of a sudden you see one little flock of small Canada's flying overhead. The next day you'll see a snow goose or two. And then the next day, there's snow geese and Canada's and mavlers and pintails absolutely everywhere you look. And it's just like you get to see that that change is neat to see. I love that part of it. Yeah. So when it's really, really locked down, do you guys get to the point where it just feels like there's just no ducks even in the state where they're just gone? When it's cold? Yeah, like let's say Um, February where it's just freezing. January, it's in our, you know, like that kind of, it makes me always laugh when you hear these guys talk about all the northern states and their ponds and like you know we all like North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana. Like we're always gonna have some duck because it's a it's a bottom like right below the dams on our rivers and some of these lakes you know like the the city ponds. There's some open water. But for the most part, I mean, we're we're not holding like gigantic populations of ducks. I mean, I know there's places like you'll always find ducks in January, or February, but it's limited. I mean, you're not going to go run into a hundred thousand mallards sitting on a spot here and a hundred thousand there, and you know you might find five hundred or a thousand there, five hundred thousand in a couple other spots. But in terms of the the overall a percentage of the duck population it's it's really small so yeah there's i mean you you come around usually around christmas is when things really lock up for us even like the rivers and all that kind of stuff and you'll have a few birds like you know sioux falls is a big city and there's some warm water outlets on some little small creeks and there's some geese and some ducks but it's not significant here south dakota holds some geese and some ducks over the winters, but you know it's not for the most part. Yeah, like you actually had for the most part in the the majority of our state uh, by December first, we're pretty pretty much vacant of ducks and geese in about ninety nine percent of the state. Um, that would be a bad feeling. I, I would dread that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's strange, and it, you know, like that. That's kind of when you say, "All right, well, we get, either we're going to travel for duck hunting, or we're going to start ice fishing." And mm-hmm. I like ice fishing, but I don't like it that much. So I won't travel for duck hunting yeah. first. So <laughs> yeah, it's but it, but it, the, the cool thing about that of having no ducks around for a while is that we get to see that period where you know the migration has happened, and you don't question. Oh, are those mallards I see, are they just the ones who've been here for the last month, or are they new? I mean, you know they're new because uh, four days ago, that little food you're looking at was, you know, four inches of ice. 
So it's kind of a neat, a neat little piece just to see and be involved in, I guess. Yep. So, uh, that kind of gives me a little, warm, little warm, fuzzy feeling when I see that first, first block of mallards like buzzing around, like dive bomb into a little open patch of water <laughs> in the middle of a cornfield somewhere. <laughs> so, how long after that d- does it take, uh, the birds to kind of start reversing back and you get into the swing of your, uh, photography? Um, you know what? I, the minute, I mean, come like March 1st or, Anywhere, give give or take a week of March first, I'm always super aware of the weather because that will will be the biggest thing. I mean, it's, so uh, it's, February, your, geez, it's weather a dependent few years as well. Ago, yeah, all very weather dependent. I mean, within a couple of weeks, um, a couple of years ago, I was I was taking I was looking through my uh, Lightroom catalog the other day, and I have thousands of photos from February up around in the field and the sloughs around my house uh, because it was really warm and we were open and the birds pushed up. Um, but these last two years, it's been a little bit cold. I mean, last year, I don't think I even hardly took a photo until mid-March. And this year was well, probably a week, at least a week to 10 days into March. There just wasn't much around. And you always, it's always, it's neat because you always see, kind of like how I talk, you'll see that, that first day. I live on a highway, um, Highway 81. It runs from all the way through South Dakota, all the way down into through at least well into Oklahoma. I know I've driven it that far. And it's kind of a migration corridor. It's kind of like a guideline form. And so you'll come down that and you'll see, you'll see a little flock of snow geese the very first day. First day it's warm, and there were birds like on the rainwater basins in Nebraska. All of a sudden, they get a warm day, and we have warm, and our snow has kind of started to melt. Next thing you know, you'll see one flock of snow. That might be all you see the first day. And you think, oh, all right. So then if it's warm the next day, all of a sudden, you might see a few more. And then the next day, it's just like the gates are open. And the snow goose migration was released upon you. And everywhere you look, there's a feed of 20,000 snow geese. And then a couple of days later, the mallards and the pintails trip away. And then they move through pretty quick. And then all the other stuff comes in. It's, it's a neat to see the sequence of how it all works. So, I mean, it depends on the year. And it, I try to figure out, I, I try to use my, um, my like photo library and the dates in it to gauge when it's the best and the peak of our migration is probably mid-March that's when there's everything there's snow geese there's Canada's there's every kind of duck here and then some leave sooner some leave later so it all depends on exactly your guys it's it's just like a neat little thing it's it's a window of probably four to six or seven weeks that depending on how good the spring is that you can kind of maximize any kind of any geese any kind of duck being left over enough in quantities to take photos of awesome yeah definitely uh i've thought about going out myself but i've never tried it so maybe 
maybe at some point I'll go snap a, a few shots. I'm sure they'll uh, be pretty poor to start out with, but uh, <laughs> I can wow. I can join see the, the lore. Join the club. Everybody, everybody's our start, and you never expect to go out and be an expert in anything right away. I mean, it's kind of how it goes. Yeah. But, you know, like, if nothing else, it's just, it's just super cool to be out there. I mean, this year, I spent, I had a, I had one of the neatest things about my spring. I, mean, I had a lot of really good days in April or in May, March. But April was, by April, fifth or sixth, almost all of our, we had a really big cold front in end of March, early April. And it kind of pushed all of our, like the big ducks back down to us. It was really great for a couple of days. And then it got super warm. Everything left besides steel and spoonbills. And I had a really neat spot in um, just like 10 miles from my house that was that was all um, all blue wings and spoonbills. And it was, you know, knee-deep water. And I was able to spend probably 15 to 20 evenings out there. And it was one of the coolest things to actually watch that and spend like all time with birds. I don't, I don't normally focus on uh, blue wings, but it was like just the neatest thing to sit out there and watch all the different interactions of all these birds. You don't normally see a whole lot of, especially in full plumage. And plus that time of year, you see all these other things happen. In the background, all the shorebirds come through, all the egrets and the herons and the birds of prey all come through, even the dang blackbirds and all that kind of stuff, stuff that you don't really pay attention to. And it was just one of the coolest like times I've had because I don't normally spend a ton of time in April because by then I kind of kicked it over to turkey hunting gear. And this year was just different. And you just see like things that you would never, you never expect to see. And you see almost like a, the different personalities of some of the ducks when you're hanging out doing this stuff in the spring because you're not shooting at them. If they hang out, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not getting 30 yards and shoot at them, but rather they come the picture they land they come around you see some of like these little the things that you don't see when you're hunting so it's it's fun and i'd recommend it to anybody just you know whether or not you're gonna take pictures just go out just get somewhere and hide and just watch them you dig it i mean anybody likes dogs it's, it's a fun deal awesome so lately you've so, been putting a bunch of blue wing pictures on instagram is, is that from those uh sessions you're talking about um yeah i would say yeah most any, the, the weird thing is I had almost no, because I, because I usually quit before the blue wings really got here. Other years, um, I don't have a lot of blue wing photos from before this year, but as of this year, I've got several thousand really neat ones. Um, yeah, those are all from this year and like the videos and that. And I'll have a lot more to post here coming up in the future. Yeah. Um, you guys should all go follow them on Instagram because those pictures are, fantastic that now that uh, shoveler picture you put i think it was on yesterday where you can just see its eye kind of through its wing that was a super cool picture i'm sure you know that was a lot of luck oh yeah that was a lot of luck i mean it's it's a matter of being there but also like pure luck in terms that you just catch that sequence that thing was i think he was earlier in the year he was he was a day after a super cold um, a freeze. We had a we had 
stock game we were taking photos on. Or uh, a stock game would be like the same farm as the dugout. Like a, like a dugout. If anybody knows what that is. Like where farmers like dig out a hole in the ground and then it, there's weeds and stuff around over the years it builds kind of turns into a slough. And that thing was deep. It was open after this really cold day and the spoonbill came and landed like ten feet from me or twelve feet or something. Whatever like whatever is just beyond the minimum focusing distance of my lens. And I was just neat to kinda of catch just the eyeball through the through his wings as they're all laid out yeah. as he was coming down. So that was cool. I didn't know like, that picture. when I got home. It's kinda of fun. I, I I try not to look at my photos on my camera too much as I'm out there and I kinda of just I, mean, I do somewhat to make sure like my exposures are right next to stuff. I don't every photo and it's it always kind of a fun surprise when you uh get home and see something like that which kind of cool and, yeah instant excitement <laughs> oh yeah it just kind of brings a smile to your face all right it was worth going out that day for that one yeah some of that stuff is kind of a hassle so not that i need to not to justify it with a good photo but it sure feels good when you come home with stuff like that. Oh yeah. So kind of kind of thinking about next season. You got any uh, big plans for for it? Or are you just gonna kind of take it as the weather comes and um, you know go around freelancing it? What, what's your uh, what's your plans for next season? Um, you know that the that right there you, you kind of nailed it. We don't we don't make a ton of plans. Um, we just have, we have general ideas on places we want to hunt. You know, we've got our own. We do, we try to stick in state as much as we can, as long as we can. And then once we shut down, once we freeze up, and then we start looking at all the, all the other options that we have. Um, I like to say, I like to say in a sense of flyway. I mean, for one, I like to see five dogs, but I like a little less pressure. I like not having to fight the boat ramp. Um, I like those types of hunts the best or you can go do it on your own scout a few public spots in a day and make the decision where you want to go from there so mm-hmm. um, I'm sure we'll do Kansas again I really want to do I really want to do a North Dakota hunt um, there's several big bodies of water up there that I would love to do one of those deals where kind of push the ice line in North Dakota before we get the ice and the big, big push adopt here. Um, I'd like to go up there and do that deal. Um, um, where else is that to go? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty content. I'm not one of those guys that needs to go shoot. I don't need to go shoot like every species of dog. I don't need to hunt in the state. I'm pretty content being old, boring, me hunting ducks on cattail flues in the Midwest, and that's my favorite thing. And as long as I got some hours flying over and blow my duck call at them, I'm pretty happy doing that. Um, anywhere I can drag my boat to, I guess. Awesome. Definitely sounds it's like a band. Uh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like uh, you know, even without the plans, you'll be hunting all over the place. So the plans sound like yeah. it's just you know wing it and hope for the best and go when the weather's good and you know i i uh i envy 
that type of flexibility and you know maybe someday i'll be able to to have some of that flexibility because that definitely be a fun way to do it um going through your waterfowl season but uh you know i think this is probably a good time to to go ahead and wrap her up and we appreciate you you coming on as always, Phil. You know it's a blast. Um, you bring a lot of insight to the podcast. So go ahead and let people know where they can find you across social media. Um, just the main my main outlet, I guess, is um, just Instagram. I post photos on there. It's just Phil Conkey photos. Phil K A H N K E photos. Probably the, the easiest way, of course, on Facebook and a little bit on YouTube and I have a website com, which I probably haven't updated in many years so but Instagram was the most place and I have the most interaction for sure and probably the most fun fun to chat with people on there so that be that would be the the main place I would say to go to awesome Elliot you got any last words no but I just appreciate you coming on what is this your third time on the podcast you're becoming a regular Second or third, isn't it? Maybe. I think it is. I think at least a third, third or three or four times. I think. Yeah. Ah, it's only second or third. It's at least three. It's at least three. Okay, maybe three. I I appreciate you coming on and being willing to give your thoughts and opinions. Like Jordan said, as much as you get out in the marsh, whether it's duck hunting or photography, you have a lot of good insights from all the time you spent out there appreciate it it's something fun to do so i like chatting with you guys too awesome all righty folks thanks everybody for tuning in listen to another podcast really appreciate you guys tuning in week after week um but we're gonna go ahead and sign off this week i'm jordan from duck gun chronicles elliot from freelance duck freelance duck hunting and phil conkey and we'll see you guys next time